Hello, this is Pastor Lute. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. I've been uh, listening to a podcast on the Cold War, and it's been uh, absolutely fascinating. Uh, If you want the name, I can give it to you. Um, One thing for certain, it has definitely uh, increased my appreciation just of our freedoms that we have that that we so often take for granted. Um, The the author of the podcast, you know, kind of as to help understand the Cold War, just helped explain some of what was going on in, in Russia and leading up to it. But one of the episodes was on the Berlin Wall. And um, several years ago, I, I was uh, in Berlin and got to see where the sections were of it and and was just so incredibly kind of ignorant of, of the significance of it. But um, in, in, the, in this particular podcast, well, so backing up, so um, June 12th, 1987, Ronald Reagan gives a speech in front of the Berlin Wall. And he says, kind of the, the climax of speech was Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall and the in the podcast he interviews the guy who wrote that speech because presidents often have speech writers uh, and so he interviews it and it was a, a fascinating interview for three weeks prior there was all kind of debate in the cabinet as to whether or not that line should get said and most of the the staff and the higher up said don't say it it's too controversial don't go there it's just, don't, don't say these words, it, it's unnecessary, but, I mean, Ronald Reagan, for whatever reason, kind of had the, the, the foresight to, to include those words, and, um, but in kind of those days leading up, he said uh, that he, um, uh, you know, the, the ambassador, actually, the ambassador in Berlin said, look, like, people don't even see it anymore, right, like, it's so a part of life I mean, they never talk about it. They don't even see it. They're just, it's just kind of almost, you know, it's just kind of become this invisible thing that, that no one sees. And so a few days beforehand, um, he had a, uh, he was at some meal and, and there were several locals, uh, kind of other West Berliners there and, and they were meeting and they kind of did some informal chit chat. And then he said, and then he asked them, he said, um, so I hear that like the wall, like no one really kind of sees about it or thinks about it anymore. Is that true? And he said the whole room got real quiet, and he thought, I have just screwed up in a big way. Like, I was, I've just said something that, like, the ambassador said, like, I've really just kind of ruined this. And one gentleman kind of slowly raises his hand, and he says, I have a sister just a few kilometers that way, and I haven't seen her in 20 years. And then they proceeded to just go around the table and tell all these stories, basically how the wall had ruined their life. And the message was very clear that, yeah, we don't talk about it, but we think about it all the time. Like, it is just on, on the forefront of everything. It was interesting, too. He, um, he also shared, so he didn't get a whole lot of feedback immediately from that. So two years later, the wall was torn down by, really, but kind of by East Berlin citizens. And, uh, but in the, in the years and decades that followed, he had a chance to talk with people who were in, in Berlin and, and heard that speech. And he, and he said almost all their reactions are the same. He said they, they would tell him that, that when the speech was given and when Ronald Reagan said those words, like it was, it was, it was, like it was crazy talk. Like, I mean, it, wasn't, it, was, it was like Ronald Reagan said east is west and west is east and up is down and down. Like it was just, it was like, what, like, like, like they just couldn't even fathom it. 
But what slowly happened is that they began to think, wait, you're telling me that it is conceivable that maybe, just maybe, there is a world without the wall. And that, that idea just slowly started to, to grow in, in the minds of people. Because beforehand, it had just been lunacy. But anyways, fascinating. But just that whole idea that, that the wall was there, and, and no one talked about it, but it was in everyone's minds all the time. Uh, I think sometimes in Christianity, sometimes it can feel like we're not allowed to ask certain questions. Like we're not allowed to bring up certain points. It, it's on our mind, it's on our neighbor's mind, that kind of thing. But, but somehow in Christendom, it, it, it's not politically correct to, to sort of vocalize and just be like, why does God, you know, dot, 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 why does God not, you know, do this? I mean, is God even real? And I think the questions are are still there. Um, I think, but people have those questions, but sometimes we we just don't talk about it or or we feel we're not allowed to talk about it. And it's kind of like the Berlin Wall. It's, It's very much in the mind, but it just it doesn't get vocalized, and so we stay silent, right? I mean, okay, if God is real and all-powerful, why does God allow suffering? That, that's kind of a classic one. You know, babies that die, do, do they go to heaven? Can, can we challenge that? What's going on with there? How is it that one person can say, oh, God helped me find a parking spot, or, or he helped me find the Instapot on sale, you know? And then, meanwhile, thousands of people are dying of starvation, and what, their prayers go unanswered? Like, like, what kind of God is that? Or what kind of Christianity is that? You know, that, that, that you're trying to, to sell me here, right? When I worship or pray, nothing seems to happen. Why, why won't God talk to me? So we're continuing on in the Minor Prophets. We've been doing a series looking at the Minor Prophets. Uh, in the Old Testament, there are five um, books designated as major prophets, just because they were wordy and wrote long letters. Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. And then the next 12 are considered minor prophets. They wrote shorter letters. Uh, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And, and these 17 books typically don't get a lot of press or, or airtime, but collectively they take up over 25% of Scripture. So we've got to say, look, there's got to be some good stuff in there for us today. And so we've been looking at some of the minor prophets and just, and it's been, I found it amazing. Uh, we spent a little bit of time looking at Amos. Amos's farmer turned prophet. He gave some fierce warnings to Israel. Um, and really one of the big things out of that was their failure at social justice. And so we looked at that and examined that and, and what does biblical social justice look like and, and just all the times where God mentions justice and righteousness in the same sentence and defines those even as part of his character. Uh, we looked at Hosea and God instructed Hosea to marry an unfaithful wife and then she betrays him and leaves him and then he pursues her and brings her back into his home. And then the whole thing is actually just basically an analogy for the salvation story and how we often betray God, but he continues to pursue us and pursue us and, and pursue us. And really, it's the salvation story uh, laid out. It, it, it's amazing. Today, we're going to look at Habakkuk, Habakkuk, Habakkuk. I'm going with Habakkuk. I might flip unconsciously between two pronunciations as I go through. So 
whatever. Tomato, tomato, whatever. So um, Habakkuk, we're looking at Habakkuk. Habakkuk is different from all the other minor prophets. And and Habakkuk is one that you kind of, like, you need to know this book and and just kind of have it on standby. This, This might be a very handy book. For you, either personally or, or simply to, to, to hand, with, hand out to your friends. Um, because it, it's, yeah, this is going to be a really handy book for you to, to just kind of understand the basic framework of it. Um, and so that you kind of know how to apply it and, and have it available. Uh, Habakkuk has the potential to be something that you give a friend who is going through a hard time. Um, you know, I mean, it's, life is tough. And, and so you listen to them and, and maybe pray with them. And then you say, you know what? Let me tell you about this guy named Habakkuk. Funny name, fascinating book. Um, And then you you unpack it for them. One of the things that's so interesting about Habakkuk is that he reverses the direction of the conversation, right? In almost all the other minor prophets, the minor prophets hear a word from God, and then they speak it to the people. But in Habakkuk, he reverses that. And he takes a lot of the hard problems that he sees and in many ways speaks on behalf of the people and brings that before God and says, God, what's going on here? And Habakkuk really wrestles with some, some of the hard questions and even just his format on how he goes about doing it and, and what he, he encounters and learns through it is, is why this, this makes it so valuable. But it is unique in how he really reverses the conversation. Uh, rather than speaking to the people on behalf of God, you could almost say that he speaks to God on, be- on behalf of the people. Um, and, and the thing that he really does go after is suffering, um, and, and suffering that just really seems unfair and unjust. He will get an answer. It's kind of an interesting answer. But it must have served him really well. Habakkuk only has three chapters. All of chapter 3 is basically a worship song that he has written and then is written for, for other people to, to sing about. So, um, yeah, hard questions and bringing them before the Lord. The entire book begins with, with these words, uh, just the opening two sentences. Habakkuk 1.1, 1, 1, so we have kind of the opening, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, and then it says this. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? And that, I mean, that really kind of sets the tone for the whole book, right? What's, what's going on? How, like, how long am, am, am I going to have to cry out and make some noise here? He goes on to list some of the atrocities that he sees in Judah. Uh, that's really kind of, he's looking around and he sees just a lot of evils happening and, and it seems as if there's no justice um uh, and so he's looking at the injustice the e- uh, evil that he sees in, in israel and from his perspective these people are continuing to to get away with all these atrocities and so the first question is really you know are you not listening do you not see what what's going on around me the destruction the violence the strife the contention he says the law is paralyzed and never goes forth. Uh, he says there's no justice. He says the wicked surround the righteous so justice goes forth perverted. No true justice. 
I think one of the big things that, that these first four verses tell us is just that it is okay to ask the hard questions of God, right? It's okay to pursue God with, you know, our version of, like, what's up with this? Uh, that doesn't make any sense. That seems unfair. And, and within that, we stay respectful, but we can be honest, right? Honest but respectful. And, and I think that's a format that we see here in Habakkuk and in other spots. Very candid, very honest, but, but respectful. God is pretty secure in, in his identity. You're not going to surprise him. You're not going to rattle his cage. You know, you're not going to vocalize what you've been wondering for however long. And he's going to be like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe they said it out loud, right? Like, that's not, like, the bloke two houses down is probably pushing God with bigger questions anyways, right? So God is not frazzled or unnerved by what you're going to bring before him. Uh, I remember another podcast, this lady had done all kinds of research on youth who had grown up in the church, and then some kind of left the Christian faith, and some stayed within the Christian faith, and what was the difference? And so, you know, all this research and surveys and that kind of thing. And what they had found was, is that all the youth have the questions. All of them, right? I mean, and most of us, like, that's our own journey, right? Like, we'll talk about some point, like, where our faith became our own, or that kind of thing, right? But you know, is God real? And does God really love me? And do I really need this salvation thing? And is the Bible true? And, and all that kind of stuff. Everybody goes through that. The only difference was, is that some had a safe environment where they could ask and process those questions. Those were the ones that ended up staying within the church. It was the ones who did not have a safe place to ask and process those questions where they eventually ended up leaving the church. God gives Habakkuk a response. God says he's going to send in the Babylonians, or here they're the Chaldeans. Um, he said he's going to send them in, and they're going to conquer Judah, and going to haul them away to captivity. And there's a pretty substantial section there in chapter 1 on just how fierce and strong and violent and awful the, these Babylonians are. And we know from history this happened, right? Sixth century, uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes in in 586 B.C. Uh, Jerusalem falls to Nebuchadnezzar, and God is basically just revealing all this beforehand. So Habakkuk gets an answer, but it's not like really the answer he was hoping for. You know, Lord, I see all this awful stuff. When are you going to do something about it? And God says, oh, I am. A really vile, evil uh, nation is going to come in and kill a bunch of people and haul away the rest of captivity. You're welcome and amen, you know. And this, this really kind of creates a new dilemma for Habakkuk. And so he proceeds to, to ask, well, um, that's not really fair, Lord, because they're worse than, than we are. They're an awful violent people, and it's not right that they should be the ones to come and conquer us. And so how can God use an evil instrument like Babylon to punish Israel? Habakkuk then does an interesting thing. So in, in chapter 2, it says, it, it reads like this. So, you know, he had his first question, and then God answers it. And it wasn't an answer he wanted, so now he has a second question. And he says this, I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. 
One, it's just fascinating that he just calls it a complaint, that he's just very honest. Sometimes we have um, a favorite uh, place to pray or, or, you know, I mean, like it's a room or a chair or the couch or like you, you like to go for a walk, you know, in nature or something, right? I mean, like you've got kind of your favorite way to just pray and vent life to God and all these other kinds of things. Um, Habakkuk had the same, and he just refers to it as his watch post. We had a, um, a couple watch post stories. Uh, there was a gentleman by the name of, of Steve Lytle uh, was living in Israel, and, and he talks about a room that was basically like their, their prayer room. And uh, one day he had some really big questions that were not getting answered, and he was pretty frustrated, and a lot of it actually just revolved just around his own um, sin and why he was having a hard time and that kind of thing. And, uh, and as he got ready to walk into the room, he said, Lord, either we deal with this or I'm just going to die in this room. And he opened the door and he walked in. And he said the presence of God was already there waiting for him. And he said it was so heavy, I just fell on the floor and he stayed there for days. And other people would come in and, they, and they'd be on the floor as well too. And he cried more tears and shed more tears during that time. Uh, and also God revealed to him a lot of visions about um, kind of what was going to happen in the future and that kind of thing. Carlin Weinhauer uh, was a pastor in Canada and, and mentored me for a, a short period uh, before he passed of uh, cancer. But, um, you know, where, where he pastored was just across the, the line close to Vancouver. And they had a little cabin down in the States. And so they would, you know... Sunday afternoon, evening, they would head down there, and it was kind of before cell phones, and they'd intentionally not put a phone line into the cabin, and so if anybody wanted to get a hold of them, they had to drive to the house or cross the border and drive to the house, and that was their, kind of their watch post, and just to rest and read and reflect and pray and that kind of thing. Habakkuk finally gets an answer, so he's on his watch post, we don't know how long, in his prayer room, in his recliner, whatever it is. He gets an answer. And the answer is he gets, is that he gets this vision for what eventually will happen to the Babylonians, to, to the Chaldeans. God basically says, you know what? They'll be punished as well. Uh, the Babylonians will also suffer for their sins. And then in chapter through 5, there's kind of these five woes that get articulated. You know, woe to those who do this and woe to those who do that. And it's almost kind of like a legal complaint laid out against the Babylonians. I find it fascinating that if you look at the timeline, this is the last um, prophet or letter that occurs before Judah is hauled away to captivity. And, th- and this is just kind of my theory. But I'm, you know, I'm assuming that, you know, as a prophet of the land, that they would have made copies of this. Other people would have been aware of it. But that the last kind of thing that they receive from the Lord before they're hauled away to captivity, is not saying, you know, Lord, save us from this ordeal, but rather something that says, this too shall pass, and those who are oppressing you will one day receive their justice. And here's a worship song that God is still good and wonderful and awesome and that kind of thing. So I just, kind of my my theory on that. You know, sometimes um, we look at a piece of Scripture, and there's this encouragement uh, that we get out of it, and we say, whoa, prayer changes things, right? Something bad is happening, could happen. We pray, 
prayer changes things, yay, like, those are the fun sermons, right? Prayer changes things. And I, and, and it, in prayer, we are not getting man's way in heaven. Prayer, we're getting God's way on earth, right? In prayer, we're not convincing God to do something or to act or to change his mind. But somehow in prayer, we're somehow releasing God's will on earth. And so, but then there are other places in Scripture where we look at the piece of Scripture and we say, you know what, life is hard and and someone prayed and they spent time with God um, and their attitude changed, but their circumstances did not change. Like, Like somehow just that time with Jesus, you know, changed their heart, but nothing about them actually changed. And that's good and true. Those sermons quite are, are not as much fun, you know, to say, yeah, you're still going to have to have a miserable time, but maybe you'll have a good attitude about it, right? But they're still true. Habakkuk is neither one of those. Habakkuk is neither one of those. What happens in Habakkuk, it's, it's kind of like God tells Habakkuk, hard times ahead. And then Habakkuk doesn't like that answer, and he says, I don't, I don't like that answer. Let's talk about that some more. So what happens here, though, is God looks even further into the future, and he explains how justice will happen, you know, that that good things will come about, and then Habakkuk writes a worship song, right? So imagine it like this. God tells you, um, you're going to have cancer. And your response is, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to pass on that. That just doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. So you go to God, you you go to your prayer chair or whatever, and then God eventually tells you, you're going to have cancer, but you're going to get through it, and at the end, you're going to be closer to me than you ever thought possible, and you're going to minister to others in the hospital with profound effectiveness because of what I brought you through. And knowing that, then you say, okay, I'm okay with this. Let's, let's do this thing. And then you write a song of praise, right? Because honestly, like how many of us, you know, you've lived long enough where you can look back on part of your life and you can say, okay, there was a hard season and it was lame and I didn't really appreciate it. But yet, somehow... There's good that came out of it, or there's, I'm somehow better, or there's these profound things that happened that would not have happened if the hard thing had not been allowed to unfold. There, I was reading another book on uh, World War II. I, I think it was Tom Brokaw's The Greatest Generation, but it, it was this idea, I mean, in, in speaking with people who had come back from the war, there was kind of this, this common sentiment, and, and as I recall, that this is how he wrote it, um, but... But they all said pretty much the same thing. They said, you know, I'd not give you a plug nickel to do it again. And I had to Google that one. That's actually a thing. Um, I'd not give you a plug nickel to do it again, but I would not give it up for anything. And there's a sense that, yeah, it was hard, but I, I, wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't give it up, right? God has answered Habakkuk a second time. It's not the answer that he wanted to hear, but he'll take it. And so chapter 3 is this entire worship song that Habakkuk writes for for all the people to engage in. Um, If you like to write in your Bible, let me give you three verses. 
Uh, chapter 2, you know, uh, God is speaking, and he, and he gives kind of these five woes about the, the Babylonians and how awful they are. But in chapter 2, God gives three things about himself that, that I think are, are worth knowing and noting and remembering. The very first thing, so this is a back of chapter 2, verse 4. At the end, it says this, the just shall live by faith. Uh, some translations may say the faithful will live by faith, the righteous will live by faith, the upright will, will live by faith. One commentator said that's one of the most important verses in all of Scripture. I was like, really? That's a big statement, because there's a lot of verses, and a lot of them are pretty good. Protestant Reformation, right? Martin Luther writes out his sola scriptura, sola, what is, there's like three or five, depending on... Whatever, whatnot. But one of them is sola fide, which is alone faith. Faith alone. Um, we are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther got that idea from Paul. Because Paul, in a couple of his letters, wrote out, we are saved by faith alone. Paul got that idea from Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. And we know Paul got that idea from Habakkuk, because he quotes him at least two, maybe three times, depending on who you think wrote Hebrews, right? Um, Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews all quote Hebrews 2, verse 4, in laying a foundation for salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Um, Romans 1, 17, for it is in righteousness of God is revealed through faith, uh, as it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. Galatians, uh, now is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For, kind of in contrast, the one who is righteous will live by faith. So this is a revolutionary idea, you know, that, that we are all saved by faith. And it all comes back to Habakkuk 2, verse 4, the just will live by faith. So that's the first truth that, that God speaks, really kind of a about himself um, for us to remember. Here's the second one, verse 14. The earth shall be filled with God's glory. When Habakkuk wrote this, the earth was not filled with God's glory, right? Like, like not. If you look at the five woes that, 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 that God articulates, um, you have uh, the first one, verse 6, greed, violence, theft. Uh, verse 9, there's more greed, there's more violence, there's more theft. There also appears to be self-preservation at the cost of others. Verse 12, you have murder for gain. Uh, verse 15, you have drunkenness and sexual assault. Verse 18, you have worship of other gods, of idolatry, right? So mostly our country um, laid out, you know, in, in chapter 2. And we know that God's character doesn't change. So we know that he, these sins still break his heart and he, he still hates these. But this promise that one day... One day, the knowledge, the reverence, the worship for God will cover or fill the earth. Almost kind of the same way that a sea or an ocean is filled with water. That knowledge, that reverence of worship God will just saturate the entire earth. So this is, I would say this is an end time statement, just because we ain't there yet, right? Someday we will. There's going to be a wonderful, spectacular heaven beyond imagination. 
And Scripture tells us that actually heaven is so wonderful that it's beyond the imagination of humanity. Like, no human mind is creative enough to actually conjure up just how good heaven will be. And at times I can be pretty creative, but apparently I'm not creative enough for that. That's the future, so hang in there. Here's the third thing that, that kind of this, it, it, it's a statement that God says about himself, but really it's also just a universal spiritual truth. Verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. God is on the throne. Uh, God is still in charge. God will execute judgment and justice. Uh, to me, I don't know. I, some of you have lived longer than I have. But to me, it seems like every year our American politics just get weirder and weirder. You know, I'm like, was it this weird when I was eight? I don't know. Maybe I was just ignorant. I'm not sure. But it just, it just kind of seems to get odder and odder every year. Um, all around the world, atrocities continue to happen. And it can feel like, all is lost, or, or what's the point? But here's a universal truth for you. God is still on the throne. I think we feel more secure when justice is available. It, it was, um, I don't know, maybe this was just me. Uh, you know, we went a couple weeks where we did not have a police chief in town, right? Mylan had retired, and they needed to hire the new guy, and now we have a new guy, and that's good, and that's great, and that kind of thing. But I remember once driving around town, it was just kind of like I knew that we had, you know, police coverage out of York or whatnot or that kind of thing. But it was just kind of an odd feeling to be like, hey, there's no one specifically like policing us. Like, in, I don't know. It was just kind of an odd feeling for me that, that for a season we didn't, we didn't have that, whatever that was. Um, I've been privileged to do some traveling in my time and you know there are parts of the world where just where the justice system where the police where the military like they are not trusted they are not to be trusted um it's just kind of a a corrupt system uh it's very unnerving it's just a different lifestyle there and i think this is a statement really about justice habakkuk thought that god was uninterested in the affairs of the israelites he thought that god did not care about the problems or the lack of justice, but he learned that God is very much interested, that he is very much aware of what's going on, that he does have an immediate short-term plan, that he does have a long-term plan, and it may seem like it's taking a long time coming, but it's all in God's timing, and he has this all figured out, and he's going to execute his plan on, on his time, but he does still have a plan. And so rest assured that God is on the throne, and that justice will happen. Uh, Habakkuk ends by writing this, this psalm for others to sing. It, it's a worship song. Um, and we know this just by the very last verse where it says, To the choir master with stringed instruments. Um, at one point he, he writes this in the worship song. Though the fig tree does not bloom, nor fruit beyond the vines, The produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. 
He makes my feet like hinds feet. He makes me tread upon high places. In other words, no matter how severe the tribulation that's coming, um, Habakkuk will never stop trusting God. Even though God Himself has, you know, raised up this this bitter and hasty nation, God is, uh, Habakkuk is confident that God is going to show mercy to those who trust Him, and Habakkuk will rejoice in God uh, when all else fails. If you know, if I could write you a motivational poster that that you could just kind of have on hand, that would always have three truths for you to build everything else on, I'd have these three things. I would say that the just will live by faith. That the earth will someday be filled with the knowledge of God. And that God is on the throne. Those three things. I I think all of our hope can be built on that. The just will live by faith. Someday, all the earth will be covered in in the knowledge and the worship of God. And God is on his throne. Folks, it's okay to be honest with God. It's okay to bring before him the tough stuff. You're, you're not going to unsettle him. He's okay. He knows you're thinking it anyway, so can we just be honest and just start vocalizing stuff? Maybe your prayers will change things. We, we see that in Scripture. Maybe your prayers will change things. Maybe your prayers won't change anything, but you'll just have a better attitude about it. We see that too. Or maybe your prayers aren't going to change anything, but God will reveal to you a future where you say, you know what? We can do this. I'm okay. Let's, let's move forward on that. The just will live by faith. Someday the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God, and God is on the throne. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Lord, thank you that the just will live by faith. Lord, thank you that someday knowledge of you, worship of you, will completely cover, completely saturate, completely fill this earth. And Lord, until then, we trust and we know that you are on the throne and that your justice will prevail. God, thank you for the relevance of Scripture. Lord, thank you that we can come before you with the hard questions. Lord, that that we can come before you with the questions that that sometimes we don't even feel safe verbalizing to others. The, the, the questions that may seem taboo, we can bring all that before you. And you're okay with that. You can handle that. And in fact, you enjoy the interaction with us. And so, Lord, for all of us here, Lord, I pray for incredible freedom in coming before you with honest questions and even complaints at times. Lord, we want to be respectful, but we also want to be honest, completely honest. Lord, thank you that you hear our prayers, that you know our situation, that you know what we're going through. We worship you and we love you. In your name, amen.